Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. My name is Claire Lehman and I am Editor-in-Chief of Quillette. Quillette is where free thought lives. We are an independent, grassroots platform for heterodox ideas and fearless commentary. Our podcast is a team effort and is jointly hosted by myself, Associate Editor Toby Young and Canadian Editor Jonathan Kay. You can support our podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash Quillette and becoming a monthly patron. By becoming a monthly patron, you'll also receive our weekly newsletter. The trajectory of the Quantonian Meteor has been traced to Sector 72-4, a planet locally known as Earth. What a miserable looking mud ball. Send a robot probe. Extract the Quantonium with extreme prejudice. Nothing can stand in my way now. Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. I'm Jonathan Kay speaking to you from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, planet Earth. What you just heard was actor Rain Wilson voicing the evil Galaxar, scourge of our planet in the 2009 animated film Monsters vs. Aliens, which is, of course, a work of fiction. Or is it? Later this month, the U.S. government will be releasing a report on years of unidentified aerial phenomena, or UAP. That's what we're supposed to be calling UFOs now. And there are plenty of people eagerly waiting to see what that report will contain. And we're not just talking about those who believe in alien encounters, but also those who think that UFOs, or UAPs, actually represent super-advanced Russian or Chinese military assets. Assets that could give our global adversaries the powers of Galaxar himself. With me to discuss this is Michael Shermer, a prolific author, including here at Quillette, and an expert on both conspiracy theories and UFO sightings. I spoke to him last week over Skype about his recent Quillette article on UFO sightings called Understanding the Unidentified. Oh, and one thing I should mention... One of the things we spoke about was the first known interstellar object detected passing through our solar system back in 2017. In the interview you're about to hear, I botched the pronunciation of this thing pretty badly. The real pronunciation of the term given to describe that interstellar body is Oumuamua. Sorry, Oumuamua. So the reason we're having this discussion is last month, 60 Minutes reported something which sounded like it was new information. I think the word real, as in real UFOs, that sort of terminology was thrown around. Was there any new information in that CBS report? No. No, the CBS report was largely a rehash of the previous year's disclosure by the Pentagon, which was itself a rehash of the 2017 New York Times article, which itself was a rehash of a previous popular mechanics article, which itself was kind of rehashing uploads of videos that were shot in 2004, then 2007. So, you know, when you follow the ownership of the of the videos and the tracking of it, it's, it's amazing. The only thing that's new is the public interest in it and the fact that it was 60 minutes that covered it and the New York Times, you know, the paper of record. So that word real is doing a lot of work at those headlines. It looks like they're real. The New York Times says they're real. The Pentagon says they're real or 60 Minutes says they're real. No, that's not at all what anybody is saying. They're saying the videos are real. That is to say, it's not some kid with his laptop in his basement cranking out CGI fake videos of UFOs, which have been done. 
I myself have done those. Uh, no, these are actual videos shot by, you know, Navy jets, uh, you know, with jet mounted cameras and so on. That's the only thing they mean by real. So real in the sense that it's not a deliberately manufactured artifact. Right. Not a hoax. So it's a good faith representation of something that was seen in the sky. And actually, one of the things I learned from your article is <laughs> there's a surprisingly large amount of crap that's in the sky. Yes, and flocks of birds, flocks of satellites. You know, I mean, I saw uh, the day after he launched them, Elon's train of satellites came right over Santa Barbara. I couldn't believe my eyes. I got out to check the mail and like, there it was. It was like, holy crap, if I didn't know. SpaceX had just launched these satellites, I'd be thinking, holy moly, there's something in the sky. And I don't know what it is. It's unidentified, you know, so unidentified flying saucers or more commonly used now unidentified aerial phenomena. The U just means unidentified. And usually it means the person looking at it doesn't know what it is. Well, so what? I mean, probably half the stuff I see, I don't know what it is. And, and I read all about this stuff all the time. And I've seen flocks of geese. I saw a flock of geese in the desert one time. I was out middle of the desert in a bike race and it was a relay race so it wasn't my pole so I was just standing around waiting for the other guys to come by and it was dusk and there was this incredible triangular shaped UFO going overhead and then and then I you know I waited a little bit and because it was dusk uh, you know anything high up in the in the atmosphere the sun is still shining on it whereas it was you know kind of dark where we were standing on the road so that would be in a good example of something unidentified. And in that list I included in the article for you guys, that doesn't come from um, scientists. It comes from Leslie Keene, who's a pro-UFOlogist who totally believes we're being visited. She wrote a book called UFOs, and the subtitle was something like Generals and Pilots Go on the Record. This, this was 2010. So we're talking, you know, 11 years ago, and it was all these same kinds of things we're talking about now that we're on 60 Minutes and so on. So she herself admitted 90 to 95% of everything anyone's ever reported as unidentified is totally identifiable once you look into it. So ufologists and skeptics like me, we are in complete agreement on 90 to 95% of everything we're talking about as having natural prosaic explanations. So this entire discussion is centered on uh, just a handful, 5% to 10% of anomalies. We just don't know what they are. And so then the question is, what, what do scientists do with anomalies? And my answer is nothing. You don't have to do anything with them. We can keep looking, try to figure it out, assign some grad students to try to figure it out, wait for the Pentagon to make an announcement or you know, something. But in the meantime, you don't have to construct a whole new worldview about alien visitation or super advanced Russian Chinese technology that, you know, we're centuries behind them and now it's panic time, like the missile gap in the 50s and all that. No, we just have to uh, be comfortable with uncertainty. That's perfectly normal in science. Your article goes back to the 19th century, I think, and shows how these UFO crazes have been part of history for a long time. But things have changed technologically. All of us have smartphones in our pocket that we could whip out and take pictures of alien spacecraft if we see them. Doesn't this have some impact on our analysis of whether these UFOs are actually space visitors? Right, exactly. And that makes my case even stronger and weaker for the ufologists because if we're being visited so frequently, I mean, these pilots on 60 Minutes, the most revealing part of that whole segment was the comment by the Navy pilot. Uh, uh, these were the Florida sightings. And he kind of offhandedly says to Bill Whitaker, oh, you know, we see these things every day. 
And Whitaker goes, what? What do you mean? Every day? He goes, oh, yeah, all the time. It's like, okay. All right. So we're not talking about just some quirky anomaly, some experimental thing that the government tried once. You know, if they're seeing something every day, shouldn't we have just tons of videos and photographs? And not just by Navy pilots, but, you know, there's almost 200 million smartphones in America alone. And, you know, pretty much all of them now have high definition, high resolution cameras and there should be thousands of these high-res, clear, unmistakable photographs and videos, but there's not. In fact, all of the videos we're, we're look, talking about now, they're all of the kind of vintage, grainy, blurry, you know, just no really any better than what we've seen in decades past. And that would count against the idea that we're being visited because there should be, you know, just tons more evidence because there's so much better equipment. Everyone's heard about Area 51, and there's a rich load of quasi-ironic lore that surrounds UFO mythology in the American Midwest and the American West. If you're going to get abducted and probed, that's kind of the place to do it. But you tell a story from Belgium. That's a place I see is very much off the beaten path in terms of the UFO heartland. There are a handful of sightings in the UK and in Europe that you occasionally hear about. But not many. It does seem to be more of an American phenomenon. So that's why I opened the story with that wave of unidentified aerial phenomenon. Well, they didn't call it that in the 1890s. So we're talking over, you know, well over a century ago that turned out to just be dirigibles and hot air balloons and experimental gliders and things like that. The one in Belgium I highlighted because it was so prominently featured in Leslie Keene's book on UFOs as this triangular shaped spacecraft that, you know, seemed to hover and then zoom off quickly, apparently could just float in midair without making any noise and so on. But if you actually look at the narrative, you know, the account that the uh, military leader gives the general is quite different than the one Leslie Keene recounts in her own words. It seemed to slow down becomes it hovered without moving or it accelerated away rapidly becomes it instantly shot off in her words. And that kind of language makes it more difficult for people like me to explain it. So what I'll hear is, come on, Shermer, how could something come to a complete standstill and not make any noise and then zoom off instantly? But that's not what the eyewitness said he saw. <laughs> so you have to go to the original sources. And and by the way, I didn't include this because that article I wrote for you was getting rather long, but there is one photograph you can see online. If you Google Belgium UFO, you'll see this triangular shaped thing. And it doesn't look like an illusion where, you know, at night, if there's three lights, the brain fills in a triangle and it looks like a solid shape. No, this, you can actually see the body of the aircraft. Well, that turned out to be fake. Uh, some kid, after the UFO wave got a lot of popularity in the 90s, then this kid faked this, he made a, a styrofoam structure in, in a triangular shape and put lights on it and just blurred the camera lens and, and photographed it like that. And so that turned out to be fake. <laughs> which unfortunately for ufologists, there's a lot of that in this business. There's a lot of fakes. Uh, so that brings us to the next thing. Leslie Keene's subtitle is generals, pilots, and so on go on the record. What difference does it make if it's a general or in the past, you'll often see, well, the police chief saw the thing or the mayor saw the thing or the fireman uh, or the local professor. You know, it, it's like giving a title to an observer somehow makes them less vulnerable to optical illusions. But of course, they're not. <laughs> no, but I, I mean, I get that. They're saying it's not the local drunk. <laughs> well, yes, of course. All right. That, fair enough. Right. Fair enough. But if it is 
not a fake and it's not a, an actual alien spacecraft, but it's some kind of illusion, optical illusion. You know, you just see something off in the distance or, you know, you can't quite make it out and it turns out it's not going fast, it's going slow, but you're the one that's moving, that kind of thing. Their brains are not wired any differently than ours. They're, they're going to see the same illusion, just like anyone looking at an optical illusion in any psych, te- psych textbook, they're going to see the same thing everybody else sees. So there's nothing special about that. So there's kind of an appeal to authority as if that makes a difference. In this case, it doesn't. Where it would make a difference if if this report were supposed to get by the end of June, you know, is an official military Pentagon document. And they said, yeah, here is exactly what we did. Of course, that kind of authority w- would matter. And, you know, we're hoping that something interesting comes out of this, but I'm predicting nothing interesting will come out of it. Tell me about this report. Oh, well, so the Pentagon in uh, 2019 or yeah, late 2019 said, all right, these videos everybody's talking about, you know, they're real. Uh, in other words, they're ours. They're part of our military, the videos, I mean, and uh, and we're looking into it. And so that this momentum has been building for the last year and a half. Okay, well, what is it? So then, you know, a couple of days ago, the New York Times said, well, we have a, a couple of sources that said they saw this report and there's nothing particularly revealing about it. Believers in UFOs will still believe. Skeptics of UFOs will still be skeptical. And it's like, well, thanks. <laughs> that clears it That clears it up. And that's kind of typically what happens. Uh, so let's go back in time. The most famous uh, UFO story before this one is, is Roswell. So Roswell happened in 1947, July 1947. Something crashed in Mac Braswell's ranch outside of, uh, of Roswell, New Mexico. And uh, okay, well, what, what was it? And you can see the photographs online. You just, just type in uh, Roswell incident and you'll see this photograph of this guy sitting there with a bunch of debris on his living room floor. It looks like balsa wood and tape and cellophane or whatever. And, th- and that, in fact, is what it was. <laughs> but the government then said, well, yes, okay, we're going to tell you what it is. It's a weather balloon. And that was their story for decades. All right, fast forward, there was a big survey done. The top UFO sightings of the 1950s, 40s and 50s. So Roswell was 47. This was published in the 60s. Roswell wasn't even on the list of the top 500 most important UFO sightings. It didn't become the Roswell incident until 1979 when there was a made-for-television movie about it based on a book. And then there were more books. And then all of a sudden, eyewitness accounts start coming forward. That is, eyewitnesses start remembering what they saw, you know, decades before, and we know how reliable that is. And then finally, in 1994, the Pentagon said, okay, we're going to tell you what it really was. It wasn't a weather balloon. It was a high altitude surveillance balloon listening for the acoustic traces of upper atmosphere and nuclear tests by the Soviet Union. And we lied because, you know, it was the Cold War. These are national uh, security details that the public doesn't need to know. And we didn't want the Russians to know we were doing this. So we made up the story about the weather balloon. Of course, the ufologists went crazy and said, you see, the government, it lies to its citizens, as if that was a big revelation. Um, so, you know, this does complicate things. But but even in that report, then that was totally believable. But then they went on to try to explain the sightings of the alien bodies, which, you know, is an additional um, story that came out in the late 80s, early 90s about Roswell. And they said, well, we think there were crash test dummies that we were heaving out of these high altitude balloons to see how well the parachutes work and so on and so forth. And it's like, I don't know, that's a bit of a stretch. Yeah, that's a little dodgy. Yeah. So again, I, I think if they say anything, it's going to be pretty nebulous because let, let's say the, the Pentagon or DARPA really is working on some super hot drone technology, you know, stealth technology, whatever. They're not going to tell us, you know, oh, that's what the Navy pilot saw over San Diego. 
They're not going to tell us that. <laughs> and of course, if it's you know some super advanced Russian or Chinese asset, they're not going to say, yeah, and by the way, we really screwed up and we're, we're centuries behind or decades behind the Russians and Soviets in technology. They're not going to admit that. And you know, it's so unlikely to be aliens, but it's very unlikely they're going to say, yes, and by the way, we, we found out they're aliens and we have the spacecraft hidden at Area 51. And we're, we, you know, we're having an open house next weekend if anybody wants to come see it. If you're a regular listener to the Quillette podcast, you'll be familiar with BetterHelp, one of our original advertisers. Well, thanks to everything that's happened since early 2020 and the stresses that the pandemic has put on everyone, the online therapy services at BetterHelp are more relevant and in demand than ever. BetterHelp will help you unlock the tools you need to help with motivation, depression, anxiety, battling your temper, stress, dealing with insecurity in relationships or at work, whatever you need. Especially at a time like this, no one should be anxious about admitting that they're going through normal human struggles, because you deserve to be happy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. And you don't even have to see anyone on camera if you don't feel comfortable doing so. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what therapy is really about. And Quillette Podcast listeners get 10% off their first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash Quillette. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Quillette. Thanks to BetterHelp for their sponsorship. And now back to the Quillette Podcast. Let's say you could take modern aviation technology and go back in time like 200 years or 300 years or whatever. That would be, say, analogous to an extraterrestrial with advanced interstellar technology who is visiting us. If we were visiting that hypothetical world, we would either reveal ourselves to terrestrial inhabitants or we wouldn't. But if we didn't want to reveal ourselves, like, is there any kind of meta theory about the species from another planet? that is sophisticated enough to get here. But then once it gets here, it's like, oops, the Belgians figured out who I am. <laughs> yes, or, right. you know, I, my plane crashed over some guy's house in New Mexico. It seems like if they have that technology and sophistication, they're not just going to go kind of stumbling around the atmosphere, exposing themselves randomly to people. Right, exactly. Yes, there is a whole body of literature about that. It's actually a fairly more serious one, not, not, not quite so fringy. Trying to answer Fermi's paradox, Enrico Fermi, back on the envelope calculation, um, speculated that aliens really should be here based on the Copernican principle, that we're not special. So if you have you know, life teeming in the universe, we're not the only one. And the chances that we're the very first is also very unlikely. Copernican principle, we're in the middle of the bell curve. There should be plenty of life forms behind us, plenty of them ahead of us, much smarter. And they wouldn't be just like five or 10 years ahead of us. Like one theory is that you know, what crashed at Roswell was this advanced technology from which we back-engineered silicon chips and that launched the computer revolution. As if the aliens somehow figured out how to traverse the vastnesses of interstellar space in these incredible, fast, super tech spacecraft. And yet their computer technology is like five years ahead of ours. You know, impossible. This is a, a pet peeve I have. But in Independence Day, when Will Smith uses 20th century technology to jack into the computer system of the command ship of the aliens, like as if there's going to be a USB port or something. <laughs> right, right. Right, right. And, and this gets to why I'm, I'm quite confident it's not Chinese or Russian assets that are decades or centuries ahead of us. It can't be because that's not how the history of technology works. Every single invention ever 
and scientific discovery ever was made cumulatively based on previous people's works or other people currently working in the field, other colleagues or people in other nations and so on. Every invention ever made can be traced very carefully, incrementally, inch by inch, all the way back. And, you know, just check, you know, Matt Ridley's new book, How Innovation Works, or uh, George Basala's previous work on the evolution of technology. Everything has a predecessor, very close design, you know, the telephone, the radar, rockets, planes. It, so this claim that they're Chinese Russian assets would be as if we had biplanes and they had stealth bombers and F-18 fighters, or, you know, we had dial-up phones and they had smartphones, or, you know, we had fax machines and they had the internet. I mean, it's just impossible. We would know, you know, and, and, and the other point I'd like to make is that, you know, the Manhattan Project, the most secret project ever in the history of our country to make the atomic bomb, the Russians had it four years later. How did they get it? They stole it from us. They had a spy, Klaus Fuchs at Los Alamos. And, and you know, just think about Apple and Google and these companies with just super tight security. You know, every door is locked. Every employee has, you know, key passes and there's secret codes and all this stuff. And they sue the crap out of everybody who inches close to their patented and copyrighted inventions and so on. And still, they all rip each other off and copy each other, back engineer and so on, such that pretty much every smartphone today, they're all the same. Computers, they're pretty close to being the same. You know, Russian, Chinese, American jets, they're all pretty much the same. But so, but so this is a conversation about UFOs. So just so I'm clear, there is this, it sounds like, like a subclass of UFO theorizing, whereby they don't care so much about the idea of extraterrestrials, but to them it's about terrestrial civilizations here who are showing off their super advanced tech. Correct. So the, so the UAP, let's just call it that community, to, and they, they've used that, that term rather than UFOs to get away from the fringy kind of nutty conspiracy alien whole genre. When they say, well, I'm not saying it's aliens. Well, then what do you think it is? Well, I think it could be Russian or Chinese assets. So that's the other hypothesis on the table. So there's three hypotheses on the table. What are these things in this guy? They either have prosaic, boring, technological, illusion, balloons, whatever explanations, or two, they're Chinese, Russian assets, or three, they're aliens. So most of the people you talk to, they say, well, I don't really think they're aliens. I, I think it's more something like a Chinese or Russian asset. So the reason I went into that whole diversion about the history of technology is because that can't be what it is. So that leaves us with aliens, or it just is some mundane explanation having to do with cameras and, and lenses and so on. Could it be aliens? No, probably not. And here you just have to apply a few skeptical principles and a few astronomical facts. First, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, the principle, the ECRI principle. And everybody agrees, SETI scientists, ufologists, and so on, that if we really made contact with aliens, it would be the most extraordinary, spectacular discovery in the history of humanity. Okay, so how good is the evidence for this extraordinary claim? It's crummy. It's blurry videos and grainy photographs. It's what we've always been given. I mean, come on. If you want to tip the belief scale over into acceptance, you got to do better than that. Crash spaceship or 500 different passenger videos of some passenger jet taking off in Miami, Florida. And there it is. There's this thing. And, you know, half the passengers in the plane take pictures of it and upload it to social media. And, and we can all see it. But there's nothing like that, not, a, not, a, not one. So this is why, you know, again, and then the astronomical distances, you know, it'd be like if our sun was the size of an orange in LA, the closest star 
to it would be an orange in Chicago, 2,000 miles away. It's mostly empty space. Now, ufologists at this point jump in and go, oh, well, they don't have to travel using rocketry. They have, you know, these super advanced, you know, warp drive-like machines and anti-gravity devices and so on. Well, that's just science fiction. <laughs> you know, we don't know that, that that's even possible. And, you know, maybe, again, you know, the super advanced aliens that are you know, 5,000 years ahead of us or 500,000 years ahead of us. Yes, of course, they might do that. But that doesn't mean that they did. You said before that the United States has always been particularly vulnerable to UFO cults or UFO fixations. Do you have any theory about why that is? Some social theorists think the fact that we have so much freedom and freedom of press and freedom of speech and autonomy, individuality, that there's kind of a sense that I can create my own reality or I, you know, I can be suspicious or conspiratorial in any way I want. And also Americans are a, a bit more conspiratorial than people in other European nations say by comparison, in part because of our history, you know, that goes all the way back to conspiracy theories about what the British were really doing. When I did my conspiracy research, I was fascinated not so much with what they believed, but why they believed it. Like what psychological function was the conspiracy theory performing for them? Do you have any theory about the psychological benefit or perceived benefit? How does it help them get through the day to believe in UFOs? Well, for, for individuals, there could be, you know, more personal fulfillment of, I have secret knowledge of something that you don't. So that's kind of titillating. Also, conspiracy theories serve a role of explaining, well, where's the evidence for this thing you think is happening? Well, they're covering it up, of course. You know, that this was always the, you know, well, where's the alien bodies? Where's the spacecraft? Where they're at Area 51? Will, will the government show them to us? No, of course not. You know, even remember that interview that Clinton gave, I think it was with Jimmy Kimmel, where Kimmel's pressing him on uh, Roswell in Area 51. Uh, you know, did, did you check into it? Yes. When I became president, I looked into it. What'd you find? Nothing. <laughs> and then, and then Kimmel says, if you actually found something, would you tell us? <laughs> and he kind of laughed and said, well, yes, I would. And then the ufologist, I had actually had one of them tell me, did you see that? He paused for just a second there. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. Well, it's, it's a legit question. Yes, as we said, governments do lie to their citizens. And that does happen. But let's take it out of the UFO realm. I remember when, after we invaded Iraq and, and, and we didn't find the weapons of mass destruction, the Bush administration issued a statement, something like, we know they have them because we can't find them. That, that's We know they moved them. That's why we can't find them. It's like, wait a minute. This is what the UFO people tell me. You know, where are the bodies? Well, they're, they're hidden. And that's why we can't find them. That's how we know the alien bodies are real. No, that's negative evidence. I'm sure you will remember two years ago, there was this, if I'm pronouncing it right, umwamwa. It was this giant, genuinely weird looking thing. Although the image of it that we see on our computer screens or that we did see in 2019 was actually, I think, an artist's rendition. There was at least one pretty heavy hitter in the Ivy League who, who thought that that was an alien spacecraft. So that's Avi Loeb. He's the head of the astronomy department at Harvard. So yeah, he's got the creds for sure. And he's not claiming UFOs have visited us on Earth, anything like that. He rather distances himself from that. Now, he's claiming it's something like a object that flew through our solar system, but had certain uh, characteristics to the light signal that it gave off when we you know, turned our telescopes to it, that it moved in a way that is not typically how comets or meteors or, or whatever would move, seemed to accelerate and so on. He says an alternative hypothesis to just another meteor from, from another solar system passing through ours 
is that it's an artifact of alien intelligence. It's, you know, like a probe or a, you know, a piece of a spaceship. Space junk from some other civilization. Yeah, space, space junk. And to his credit, you know, I mean, well, okay, <laughs> the subtitle of his book is something like, you know, the first contact has now been made with alien civilizations. And, you know, when I pushed him on that, he was on my podcast. He said, well, that was the publisher's idea, you know, to make it sound like this is a done deal. <laughs> I like the idea that the decision about whether we've been visited from other planets is made by like some 25-year-old marketing dude at a publishing company. <laughs> exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. Who was an English major, by the way. Yeah. No, no. So, but, but it's an interesting story about how science works because it is a social enterprise. It, all astronomers know the story about Oumuamua and its weird light signal. Again, there's no photographs of this thing, you know, the cigar shaped object that everyone's heard of. That's just an artist rendition. All they have is a blip in the light signal from different telescopes and it does this weird thing. So it's a real object. It's really out there. It's really giving off light signals that we can see how it's moving and so on. And it's moving in an anomalous way. Okay, so now we're back to my anomalies. What do you do with them? Well, again, you don't have to do anything with them. Why write a whole book saying we finally at long last made contact with an extraterrestrial intelligent technology that passed through our solar system? Why go there? Because all it is is we don't know what it is. It's really weird. And now, right after the ink on his book dried, you know, there was a new paper by some other astronomers going, no, we actually think it's something ejected from another solar system because it came too close to a large planet and gave it a perturbation of its orbit. It's some version of giant rock. Yeah, some version of giant rock. And, and they claim that their mathematical models explain its quirky anomalous movements just as well as Avi Loeb's mathematical models. Okay, so what do we do? All right, well, to me, I'm like, look, I'm, a, I'm not an astronomer, I'm a social scientist. What do I know? I'm going to let these guys hash it out in the professional journals, and we'll see in a few years, you know, how, how it turns out. Instead of like, okay, now we've been visited, this is incredible, what are the aliens like, and so on. There was a similar story like this about five years ago uh, from this object called Tabby's Star. Tabitha is the name of the astronomer who discovered this. Uh, again, it's another light blip in the signal looking at uh, distant stars where the light from it dips a little bit because a planet passes between it and us. So it makes a little shadow across there. But all we see is the light dips a little bit. So this object, this star is 1500 light years away. And the light dip in the signal was way more than it would be if it was a comet or even a giant Jupiter-sized planet. It, it's way bigger than that. So what is it? And it didn't look like a swarm of comets or planets or anything like that. So there was some speculation. Well, maybe it's a giant, like a Dyson sphere. Freeman Dyson speculated that far future intelligences would be able to construct these gigantic solar panels in orbit around their planet or their star to capture the solar energy from the star and get basically free energy. Well, this would be great. And this is totally technologically doable. So this got a huge amount of press and I was doing radio shows and I was on this funny radio show. John and Jillian uh, talk radio here in, in LA. And so they're, you know, John's asking me about this and Jillian just blurts out, so what are they like? And I said, what is who like? The aliens. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> we don't know there's aliens. All we have is a blip in the light. That's all we have. There's no aliens. First of all, it's 1500 light years away. So even if we discovered it and sent a signal, it'd be 1500 years to get there, 1500 years to get back, 3000 year, you know, hi, how are you? Fine, thank you, conversations. And now a message from Blinkist, the app that distills the essence from over 4,000 best-selling non-fiction books and brings them to you in 15-minute text and audio explainers. 
As part of my job at Quillette, I need to be conversant about what books my readers and listeners are talking about, in part because a lot of the authors of those books end up on this podcast. But life is busy. Blinkist lets me dive into a topic quickly and find out how to deploy my reading time best. Blinkist also has teamed up with popular podcast creators to blink those podcasts for you too. And yes, the company uses the word blink as a verb like that. It's a thing. By blinking a podcast using a feature called shortcasts, you can get to the heart of an episode quickly, complete with high quality audio. You can jump right in on the go during your commute, at the gym, around the house, or even download to listen offline. 15 million people are already using Blinkist to broaden their knowledge in 27 nonfiction categories, including self-improvement, personal growth, management, leadership, and mindfulness. And like I've told you before, the length of a typical Blinkist abridgment is just 15 minutes, about the length of time it takes me to walk my dog. Some of my recent favorites include The Mosquito, A Human History of Our Deadliest Predator by Timothy C. Weingard, Becoming by Michelle Obama, and The AI Economy by Roger Boodle. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Quillette to start your free 7-day trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Quillette to get 25% off and a 7-day free trial. Blinkist.com slash Quillette. And now, back to our podcast. I want to ask you this one final question. This isn't about UFOs at all, but it does go to some of the themes about conspiracism we've been talking about, because this has been a really weird news cycle for someone like you, who is an expert in conspiracy theories, where the defining story of our time, the COVID pandemic, the root of that pandemic, we were told for months and months, was this is a zoonotic virus, probably came from a bat. Originally, they said maybe a pangolin. But trust us, zoonotic virus crossed the species barrier and probably happened at the wet market or whatnot in Wuhan. And the theory that, no, 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 this, this was an actual engineered virus deliberately or by accident that came out of a virology lab in China, uh, it was a heavily stigmatized idea. And the media, to the extent it reported on it at all, was in the spirit of this is a conspiracy theory, this is crazy stuff. Now it looks like it might very well be true. You got Joe Biden ordering an investigation. Wall Street Journal's done some good reporting on it. There was a letter signed by 18 prominent scientists in science. Is it weird to see something dismissed as a conspiracy theory? The, the example I gave on Twitter, if some guy in the Mossad just popped up on the media and said, hey, yeah, you know what? Dodi Fayed and Princess Di, 1997, Paris, that was us. Sorry. <laughs> right. It feels a little bit like that. Uh, initially, there, the hypothesis that it came out of the lab in Wuhan was a competing hypothesis. Be before Trump started going crazy on social media with the China virus and, and all that, and the Wuhan flu. Yes, yes. Trump is just so hated by the left. And, and to their credit, you know, he, he's so far out there on social media. It's hard to know what to take seriously. But initially, that, that was floated as a legitimate hypothesis. And then there was a genomic analysis published in it was either Science and Nature. I think it was Nature. Saying, no, no, the genome sequence uh, shows that it was not intentionally manipulated. So I thought, okay, well, then that, that's probably the case. Not that it couldn't happen. I mean, it's not a completely crazy conspiracy theory at all. There are viral labs in 
in China and Russia and the United States, and there are leaks. And so it could be a conspiracy and it may still turn out like that. The problem is so politicized now. I mean, you go to Fox News and they just pound on Fauci. I mean, Tucker Carlson spent like 20 minutes pounding on Fauci's lies. Well, you know, lies, okay. That's a pretty strong statement. If you watch 60 Minutes, they talked to the guy who was with the uh, WHO team that went in there a year ago, February. And she's asking, well, what did your team discover in their investigation? And he says, what investigation? Basically, the Chinese just gave us like a tourist review of their lab, and we didn't get to see hardly anything. And she's like, what? I thought it was a big investigation. He goes, nah, <laughs> it was totally controlled by the Chinese. They didn't show, they showed us what they wanted us to see. And it's like, oh, okay. So it's entirely possible that they did this. Author and writer Michael Shermer. His latest article in Quillette is called Understanding the Unidentified. Thanks so much for being on the Quillette podcast. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. If you would like to support Quillette, please consider becoming a patron. Head to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash Quillette. If you haven't already, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Do you like what you're hearing? Perhaps you would like to read more about the issues in today's discussion. Head to Quillette.com where you will find more content.